Premier Christian Newscast. Europe is often described as the world's first post-Christian continent. In what was the cradle of Christendom, a tidal wave of secularisation has swept through from the post-war era onwards. But while mainline and established denominations, whether Catholic, Protestant or Orthodox, have if anything seen even more decline than we have here in Britain, there are some other small signs of new life. A new breed of church planters are beavering away, trying to figure out how to bring to faith young adults, who are two, if not three generations post-Christendom. I'm Tim White, and you're listening to the Premier Christian Newscast. In this week's show, we're speaking to three ministers trying to revive Christian faith in some of the hardest soil for the gospel on earth. What do 20 and 30-something Europeans actually think about the church as it quickly recedes from its previous position of unquestioned cultural dominance? How can you re-intrigue folk with the Christian story when so much of it is both boringly familiar and totally irrelevant? And what might have to change about how we do church to build new communities of faith in places where Christianity once reigned supreme but has now collapsed? The story of faith in Europe goes back almost 2,000 years. Europe was the first continent to encounter the gospel as it moved out of its birthplace in Jerusalem. By the 4th century, Christianity had taken over the Roman Empire as the official religion. Into this era of Christendom grew three huge traditions, Catholicism, Orthodoxy and later Protestantism. But what took millennia to build has shriveled in barely half a century. Ever since the post-war era, Christianity in Europe has withered in the face of the rapid rise of secularism. Forty years of atheistic communist rule in Eastern Europe battered the church there, while on the other side of the Iron Curtain the church slid into decline and irrelevance during the sexual and liberal revolutions from the 1960s onwards. Today, Europe stands as the world's first post-Christian continent. It has deep cultural roots and heritage in faith, especially in buildings and institutions which find their foundations in Christendom. But active, thriving and growing communities of believers are rarer and rarer. And just as secularism began to replace Christianity as the default worldview in Europe, the church began to discredit itself in the eyes of coming generations. Through abuse scandals, an unhelpful intermingling with the state and at times some theological cul-de-sacs, the European church has become tainted and diminished. Europe is now some of the world's hardest ground for mission. It can be even more difficult to evangelise and disciple Europeans than in truly unreached parts of the world. Here, people have little curiosity about Christianity, which is not new or interesting, but seen as dated and irrelevant. The church is often associated with old generations and yesterday's values and morality. Despite its reputation as the birthplace of Christendom, church attendance in most European countries is low and continuing to decline. Weekly church attendance measured by Pew is under 15% in most countries, and in some, such as Russia, Sweden or the UK, it's actually closer to 6-8%. to 8%. In France, 
only 6% of those who actually identify as Christians go to church every Sunday, while in Germany as few as 17% of believers make it to church once a month. Since 2006, weekly church attendance in Italy has plummeted by over a third, while in Poland, attendance at mass is down by 40% since the turn of the millennium. In a nutshell, despite its Christian history, Europe is fast forgetting the faith which built the continent. While it may be materially wealthy, it is desperately spiritually poor. In terms of opportunities to hear the gospel proclaimed faithfully, to see Jesus changing lives, or to be invited into a vibrant church family, Europe is one of the worst places to live on earth. some ministries and networks trying to change this. Alongside lots of people inside traditional denominations who are refusing to accept an unchallenged slide into irrelevance, well-funded churches such as Hillsong or The Vineyard are well-established on the continent. There are also looser networks like City to City, originally launched by the famous New York pastor Tim Keller and others committed to bucking the trend of Europe's recent spiritual trajectory. One smaller outfit is actually based here in Britain and is called the Europe Collaboration. Rather than setting up their own network, the small team of Brits which founded it have modelled themselves on venture capitalists. They tour the world, and in particular the wealthier parts of the American Evangelical Church, collecting pledges from Christian donors who were moved by their plea for Europe. Then they scour the continent looking for church planters aligned with their vision. They pitch the planter and his or her plans to the donors, and if approved, channel the cash back to the pastors. After five or so years, the intent is that the plant would now be self-sufficient and the Europe Collaboration grant cease. So in some ways, the churches funded by the Europe Collaboration are pioneers in modelling ministry in a post-Christian context. For the first time in church history, the European church planter must reach non-believers who are culturally and historically inextricably tied to Christianity, despite their rejection and ignorance of faith. And the lessons these pastors are learning will probably be relevant to ministry across the globe. While the trends in secularisation are complex and contested, it seems probable at least that some other regions will go, and may already have started, down the same journey Europe has in leaving behind Christianity and becoming truly post-Christian. The Europe Collaboration kindly connected me with three of their church planters in Amsterdam, Rome and Athens to hear what they were finding as they tried to build new churches in this unique and significant context. First off, I wanted to understand who are the post-Christians European church planters are trying to reach. In many cases, it turns out, they might actually be described as second-generation secularists. The baby boomers who came of age in the 1960s were the first cohort to actively reject the Christendom presumptions of their parents. And so the Gen X, Millennial and Gen Z urbanites the European Collaboration's church plants serve are a further step removed. They tend not to have had the same hang-ups or negative childhood experiences of Christianity that their parents might have had. Tim Frogdenhill, who leaves Citykirk in Amsterdam, joked that many of the young adults he works with horrify their parents when they discover their children are in touch with a pastor. So one of the funny things is that I have a lot of people in their 30s in my network. And, um, and then sometimes they tell to their parents, 
I'm in touch with a with a with a sort of uh, a pastor guy, and and he's uh, doing church things and so on. And 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 sometimes the the parents are bewildered. What what are you doing? In, in in which influence are you? And then these people say, yeah, but it's it's just a normal guy, and he's he is uh, he doesn't pretend to be. Uh, to have the universal truth for everyone and so on. So this is this is, I think, an an example of that that these parents in their fifties or sixties had all sorts of difficult experiences with churches. Most of them Roman Catholic, but not always. And and then the children are uh, open-minded because church doesn't mean anything to them. These people are often so thoroughly secularized that Christianity is only a vague cultural echo. Something encountered through TV, maybe, or their grandparents, but not a living thing. They've largely never been inside a church building, except perhaps for occasional public festivals such as Easter or Christmas. This means that their knowledge of Christian doctrine is almost zero, explained Emmanuel Tsutsas, the pastor of a church plant in the Pangrati neighbourhood of Athens. Although up to this day, you have a lot of old people, a lot of grandparents, that are, to some extent, connected with the Orthodox culture and and still attend the Orthodox liturgy, whether they they do that culturally or not, that's another discussion. But um, the generation of my parents, and therefore for my generation, is even more detached because, because of that uh, very reason. So um, previous generation was a lot more uh, focusing on education, on um, on just you know, expand your horizons. Christianity is not the only thing. Uh, atheism was a big, a big trend, you know, whether intentionally believing in it or, you know, taking part in believing that you're an atheist because all your friends are, it's also a cultural thing here. So in the college and stuff. So uh, my generation now, so anyone in their thirties and under I would say they're they're quite detached from anything orthodox. The only uh, the only concept of Christianity they have is orthodox Christianity, and it's only what they've experienced through, through their grandparents, through TV, and through um, the different political tensions that are, are at play in our city because the state church. Is very powerful. The Orthodox Church is a state church and plays a big part in the political scene in the country. So that's the only connection they actually have. Because we, it, it's very interesting because uh, when it comes to the gospel itself, um, you're you are starting brand new. They have no understanding, no concept whatsoever, um, even small ideas or or you know big ideas um and concepts whatever it is talking about jesus himself you know jesus christ as a person um you are starting from scratch about being a historical person you know like we've proven that but people are just not even there there there's not that so you're starting uh with they have no presuppositions, no understanding of anything. Now, when it comes to church, is a whole different discussion. This process, however, is uneven across the continent. In much of Northern and Protestant Europe, secularization has gone deeper, leading to an almost complete ignorance of Christianity among the young. 
but in other parts, particularly southern and Catholic Europe, a nominal faith persists to some extent, said René Bruel, who leads Hopera, a church plant in the University District of Rome. The category is like um, that of a cultural Christianity, nominal Christianity. So most people say I'm Christian. And here, um, maybe they could be similar to the UK. Uh, so there, there was this wave of secularization, but um, the Catholic Church is all people really know. Most people really know here. And so they don't have a category for Christians who are not Catholic. Uh, so for them, Catholicism is Christianity and Christianity is Catholicism. Uh, at the same time, the most of them have put it aside, they drifted uh, uh, out of it. Um, and they have very negative views of the church, the, its power, its wealth, the abuse uh, that happens. Uh, but at the same time, they, they still uh, culturally attach because it's, it's what defines as being Italian as well. So it's, they, there is this ambivalence we have to deal with. At the same time, um, some negative prejudices. But on the other hand, you can build on some Christian concepts like the Trinity, the word is, the Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the son of God. It's very common. And so you can build on some things. At the same time, you you rebuild some, some other things. Mm. And did most of the people, I guess particularly the students that you're kind of working with, would they have grown up going to church themselves or is that have kind of died out in their parents' generation? Um, yeah, most have not. Some have up until maybe childhood or even adolescence, but most by this time have not. Maybe their grandparents were more active, and uh, but this generation, not much. And so do you find it helpful or unhelpful that there is this kind of nominal cultural Christianity that they might understand some of the language that you're using and the words and the ideas, but they're actually not believing, they haven't got any kind of meaningful connection with faith? Yeah, that's a question, right? I think it's, there is this conceptual framework that is of use, for example, uh, the ideas of a heaven and a hell, a God who is good, Jesus, uh, something like the church that meets on weekends. Um, but at the same time, I think it's it's mostly a challenge because people feel they they, they know already, they have been inoculated against it, and so for them it's um, it's both weird enough uh, and familiar enough that it doesn't interest them that much. So they have to uh, overcome a number of emotional obstacles. And often the avenue that uh, takes place that God uses is just relationships, people building friendships, getting to know someone, being struck by someone's life, being invited to the church. And then slowly they um, lower their barriers and gain more trust and then become more open. Yes, I think so. I think I think that secularization process has been strong in Northern Europe and person countries. Um, and here it's, it's still secularized, but it's a bit different. It's kind of a more collective approach to identity mm-hmm. and to, um, it's less individualistic and they're more residual uh, categories. Um, but then we are evangelical, we're not Catholic. We're not like a youth Catholic movement, right? So which would maybe be easier to build on those things. And for them, it's less than 1% and we fall into the sex and weird groups category. So we have to overcome all that. And so just as some young Romans hold negative associations with the church as an institution, so do young Athenians, Tsutsas said. And this is the interesting thing because, so we have a community center in Pangrati. One of the ways that we serve the community as a church is by having a community center. We do, we've created a library and, um, and, um, and a study space for the college students to use every day 
Uh, we do movie nights and game nights every Friday. Uh, we play board games. We do art workshops, jazz nights all the time, you know. So we connect with the neighborhood on a neutral level and we build relationships. So one of the common questions a Greek will ask you is, well, who is doing this? The Greek Evangelical Church of Bagrati. Uh, and, and who's paying for it? You'll say, well, the church is, is doing it. And very common answer is, oh, church money is dirty money. And then you start talking about it. And you'll see that there are tons of presuppositions and preconceived ideas and notions about the church because of what they've experienced or heard or seen on TV or in the political scheme uh, about the Orthodox Church, scandals, whatever it is. So although on a, on a gospel message level, talking about Jesus, talking about a relationship with God, talking about uh, the community and fellowship of believers, sin, shame, redemption, salvation. There's no concept whatsoever. There's no belief there. And you're starting on a completely blank sheet of paper. And it's easier to talk to them, talking to an already Orthodox. When it comes to talking about the church, it's really hard because they're already... Um, Pre, um, what's the word? They're already, you know, there's a predisposed, thank you, against the church uh, for many different reasons. And yet, despite these complex cultural challenges, there are huge opportunities among Europe's secularized young. Hrugden Hill said he often returned to a concept popularized by the sociologist Max Weber, poverty of heart and spirit. One of the more recent things is is my my um, that I, I I I I really learned to believe that times are changing, because I'm a product of a, of an academy who said secularism is all over the place and churches will be smaller and uh, will there be a future for Christianity? Wait a minute, I'm twenty years and away, and and times are changing very rapidly. Uh, in in terms of of uh, spirituality and and uh, um, so one of my favorite words is is um, uh, poverty of heart and spirit, which is a phrase from Max Weber, the German sociologist of one hundred years ago, and he already prophesied that there would be a time in which all these skillful, well trained, well educated people uh, would have a blessed life, except for the fact that they've find it hard to find access to morality and spirituality and he he describes that as a, as a form of spiritual poverty poverty in heart and spirit well just mentioning the phrase uh, leads to uh, nodding heads in in every room and then the second question is but what did he mean what what is what what is that all about well that's completely different than the culture in which i started ministry 20 years ago so do you feel slightly encouraged then that it's actually easier now than it would be, say, in the 1980s or 90s to do this kind of work because people have kind of hit the bottom of the barrel of secularism and are now starting to come up the other side? On the one hand, yes. So uh, it's, uh, there, it's, uh, it's worth, this is, a, this is a fight worth fighting. Yeah? It's, it's not, not without hope. Uh, so that, yes, but on the other hand, the playing field 
uh, in terms of religion and spirituality is very, very full. Uh, in my own city, Islam is bigger than Christianity. And uh, a pastor is still a sort of weird figure where everybody who opens a sports school uh, uh, and says, well, we also practice a little bit of spirituality during the yoga sessions or workouts that we're doing. That's that's booming. Uh, that's also what I what I re register. So um, the, the the playing field is is fully different than 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 we've seen in any other time in in Western history. Uh, which also means that that we cannot uh, go back to to old successes from the from the Reformation or or uh, the nineteenth century. This is this is a very new situation, and and um, and most of all, um, how to create real community in a time where everybody uh, is trained to be an individual for about ninety percent, also Christians. Uh, so I, I know a lot of Christian people who still uh, believe in God, but but failed to connect to any church at all. And yet this has some, something to do with churches, but most of, of all this has to do with their own individualistic background and my own individualistic background. So these are so uh, these are new phenomena. Uh, and and I'm an I'm an I'm a sort of optimist, so I think okay, new new times. So let's let's see what we can make out of this. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Bruel added to this the idea of emergent adulthood, the ultra-transient stage between finishing formal education age 21 and settling down into a permanent home, family and career in your later 30s. Young secular Europeans feel cut adrift, he said, socially and spiritually, unable to put down roots in their hyper-individualized societies and desperate for community, but without any idea of how to find it. It is in this context that the key insight of post-Christian church planting takes root. It's not about programs, but relationships. All three pastors agreed that it was by bringing rootless and insecure secular city dwellers into community that they could be introduced to a faith which would previously seem bizarrely irrelevant in the 21st century. Yeah, our recent um, major reflection has been that um, people respond very well to the idea of grace, the grace of Christ, the welcome as they are. Um, this, uh, I think people are struggling like with uh, negative emotions, addictions, loneliness, and, uh, and a welcoming community that is very accepting and very gracious is, is compelling to them. Um, and lots of um, social events, community being together, people are very much looking to do that as well. What we found has been um, uh, challenging is the idea then of um, of growth, of um, repentance, of uh, I have to change in major ways. In Athens, Tsutsas has adopted a similar approach. Yeah, so it, it, it forces us, excuse me, to find different approaches to, uh, to serve them and to bring them into the church because you can't have a new believer, you can't have somebody, you know, 
come into faith without coming into the church. And I think you can't come into the faith without coming into the church, period. Uh, the church is super important. So the big issue, the big, um, the big, big point for us is relationships. It's just, uh, we have the saying here, I do not like mottos. I do not like sound bites, uh, which is a problem of mine. I talk too much. Everybody tells me. But uh, the only soundbite I really like is we want to live lives that raise questions. Because once you are connected with somebody regularly and you live in a way that will make them ask the question, the fact that they're asking the question opens the door for you to answer that question. It gives you credibility to talk to them. If you go straight to them answering questions that have not been asked yet, you'll be met with a closed door. I don't know if that makes sense. So we, we want to build relationships and build uh, connections with people to the point that they'll ask us, Emmanuel, why on earth are you guys this way? And why are you doing it this way? And you're, you say that you believe this. And this is what I've heard about church, but this is what I see about church here. How does that work? And then it's easier to bring them into fellowship with other believers and bring them into the faith as well. Hmm. That's our experience. And that kind of comes on to kind of my what I wanted to talk about, which is what things do you find are kind of successful in, in terms of how to to build bridges with the, with these kind of secularized post-Christian Athenians that you're trying to serve? Are there particular, um, you know, strategies or models that maybe differ from traditional church planting that you've had to adopt because of the context you're in? Um, yeah, definitely. I think let's start with the obvious. Programs don't work. Uh, I think especially for Gen Zers, if we are to call them that way, you know, on the American term, uh, the younger generation and, and my generation, millennials, I think uh, programs don't work. Relationships work. But how do you build relationships in a big city? How do you connect with, with random people? Because we live, we still live in a culture here in Athens where people are suspicious of you. Greeks are very suspicious people, always. What do you want from me? Why are you asking me? Like, what, what are you trying to gain here? You know, so, so we bribe them. No, I'm kidding. So here's what we do. <laughs> We, we want to build relationships. And I think the best way to build relationships. Now, let me clarify this. There is a fine line between relationship event. How can I say this? Build relationship for the sole purpose of bringing you to Christ. And if, I, if you don't come to Christ, you know, I discard you and move to the next one. Um, and there's also, yeah, there's a fine line between that and then just build relationships for the sake of um, just being friends with everybody and nobody knowing who you are, what do you believe? Uh, we want to be intentional in every relationship that we build and in every uh, circumstance that we are. So the way we um, the way we approach it, number one, is we want to be intentional where we live. So we we attend the same coffee shop, same restaurant, same uh barber shops same uh grocery stores we go to the same places again and again and again and we want to be intentional there 
If we're intentional there, not necessarily say, hey, what's your name? Let me talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> but if we meet uh, and the first time you served me my coffee, I say, hey, what's your name? Tim, great to meet you. Thank you. And next time I come, I say, Tim, that was a great coffee. Can I have another one? Once or twice or three times, you'll start noticing that I call you by your name. Name is important. In a, in a city full of transactional relationships, calling you by name is a huge thing. And, you know, and then by, by doing that, you remember me, I remember you, and we start talking. Eventually, I'm going to get to know you, you you're going to get to know me. The hope is that in all those relationships, eventually, I want to invite people to, to something that they'll be able to plug in with the rest of the community of Christians without necessarily being a threatening place for them. So it's a long-term game, if I may say, if I'm allowed to say. It's not a quick, oh, now that we've met, let me talk to you about Jesus or come to a Bible study, but come to a neutral event, come to a jazz night. We're putting on a jazz night. It's going to be a bunch of us here. We play music or they play music. We have this common interest here. Let's just enjoy it together, grab a coffee, grab a beer, and, and, and chat. By doing that, slowly, we want to bring them closer, you know, like seeing it as if it's circles, bring them closer from the outside circle into the church. And... All that to say is being intentional. And then number two, connecting on mutual grounds. We're not aliens. As Christians, we're equally sinful as everybody else. Thankfully, you know, we're thankful for God's grace and mercy for saving us and, and cleansing us every day. Uh, but we like the same music. We like the same art. We like the same sports. We like the same, you know, hobbies, whatever it is. So connect on that level, build friendships on that level, mutual interests. And as you do that, you want to live lives that raise questions and being intentional to bring them into fellowship with other believers so they can see the gospel in our in-between relationships, see the gospel, how it plays out in the things we say, we do amongst us, and, and then hear the gospel, hopefully share the gospel with them when they ask the, the right questions, when the time is right. The pastor's point about the importance of authenticity and not trying to slyly trick people into the church was echoed by Vreudenhill's reflections from Amsterdam. Yeah, basically, I would say every, everything which is, which is uh, unauthentic doesn't work. And maybe this is an open door, but but I think in 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 many church traditions there is there is still a lot of uh, in in authenticity. So it's uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's hard for for uh, for for pastors, for example, and it's also hard for me to be to be in every situation very open, very honest. Um, so never, never say things about God that you do not believe yourself. Uh, I, th I think this is this is very very important. It's new because we've learned. I've learned in college again that that doubt is dangerous and you have to stand firm in the truth and so on. The the the, the thumb rule is be authentic. And um, and another 
thing that comes to my mind is try to uh, to build a bridge to all every uh, other sort of religion and spirituality that's also in the air. So if you if you talk about the Holy Spirit, um, uh, uh, show that you understand that most of the people use the word energy, and that's that's and that that you can connect these things. Doesn't mean that's all. That's it's all. That's it's the same in every situation. But but every suggestion that Christianity is a very sophisticated uh, a religion which has no relation to other other. Uh, religions or, or worldviews I, I i think um uh, 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 people do not believe that and and very very helpful to me is that the apostle paul did it in in the same thing sometimes he, he was very open that there is a gap uh, there is no cross in any other religion i think but uh but but in on on, on other occasions he speaks about creation as full of life and maybe there is a god as all people think there is something higher so be be um be a connector in in this in this field in the in the end this this took me years and years to find out what uh what what uh what i what i need to do and it's still a learning process um and it it has um there are there are many layers i think in this in this field probably the the basic layer is my own spirituality do do i do i do i believe that that god uh, is there and is good for everyone and do i do i dare to share that uh and then um i learned very much to to uh to um to uh, to break the, the the big message into small parts, and that every small part is fine in itself. I was used to giving uh, sermons as good as I could for forty minutes because you have to tell the whole story. That's what I did uh, ten years ago or seven years ago, and and then I I learned that this this makes no sense because also a, a, a well crafted sermon is only a glimpse of something bigger. Um, and and um, um, I have in mind a, a phrase of Tim Keller, who once said that postmodern people take their decisions in a thousand little steps, or something like that. That's what he said, and and I think that's that's true. So I do have many people in my network uh, who who take a, a, a lot of time. And take very small decisions uh, uh, year after year, and I've and I've I've learned to accept that, and that it is good in itself, and there is no need to push them to the next level, and um, and I I also learned to accept that that from myself, that my belief is not something uh, that is that is all, all, already complete or what whatsoever. It's it always uh, takes new steps in new directions at and new so these are a couple of examples of of the things i i i had i had to learn yeah it's about boldness it's about intelligence it's about uh trusting the holy spirit the challenge came in then finding creative ways to move the conversation on from the confused post-christian melange secular europeans bring with them bruel said 
In Rome, many young Italians he ministered to loved the idea of grace and forgiveness, but kicked back against growth into mature discipleship. The idea was best illustrated, he said, by the dominant picture Italians had of Christianity in their heads. We're writing a book about this, this topic and uh, even printed these images to help people talk in the conversations because we realized that um, we were presenting, imagining the gospel to be something like that, right? So adult Jesus who follow an adult disciple, even this image from the chosen, right? So they're following him on the way and Jesus is talking to them. But the central image the culture has for being a Christian is this one here, is baby Jesus on Mary's lap. And so, which is the most predominant image of Jesus that you'll see in Rome is baby Jesus on Mary's lap. Um, and uh, in unconscious way, people, uh, we feel, have uh, absorbed the way of, uh, to be Christian is to come to church, sit down and be cared for. Like uh, you reach out to me, you serve me, you do for me. And when we do the step of asking people to, to grow up and uh, like walk, walk on like a embrace service, mission, responsibility, etc. Like, whoa, 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 kind of a, there wasn't a deal. And sometimes there even um, some um, kind of, a, we've seen a kind of path in people, there's initial enthusiasm, first love for God, they love it, etc. And then there's a kind of a crossroad. And either they continue growing go, go towards maturity, or they become disillusioned, because they, they, they expect something like that, even though, they, of course, nobody would put it in that way. Um, and so... Um, yeah, they, they embrace the, uh, the church is welcoming, they're part of it, there's community, they love it. But then when it comes for, for some next steps, then there is we have to do some work in terms of uh, um, working with expectations, challenging people and uh, seeing where they're at. And it's been kind of a, a cultural challenge we've, we've, we've noticed. Mm, that's so interesting. And have you had to kind of adapt and adjust how you do how you build a church, how you do discipleship in the light of this kind of response that you found? Yes, yes, we have. We, um, we've made our discipleship uh, more robust, like longer. Um, I think we even like uh, as evangelical Christians, our discipleship often tends to be kind of shallow, kind of quick, right? So uh, read the Bible, come to church, uh, sign up for service, and there you go, like something like that. But uh, so more robust. Uh, just like people have um, take longer. Uh, and they need more formation in terms of, um, like, we, uh, we can assume less biblical knowledge than in the past, less character formation than in the past, maybe come from this, maybe dysfunctional families, or um, I just like growing, often feel like growing them up as, as people, like reparenting people, right? Um, uh, uh, we've noticed that challenge. And so at the same time that we don't want to um, uh, nurture too many We've noticed like a parental expectations towards the church, even towards the clergy, right? Like, like because here the priest is called father. And so um, I've noticed like some expectations towards me, like, whoa, maybe I'll have to put my kids aside to, to, to fulfill those, right? And so um, uh, so we've been trying to work on that. So trying to, of course, um, receive the best of what we can find uh, in Protestant theology and what happens being through the centuries. But at the same time, it's a Catholic matrix so it's a difficult of challenges and things to build on and try to deal with that. For church planters in European nations, which still have a single dominant established church, they have to drop anything which might smack of being a sect or a cult, both Bruel and Tsutsas explained. What doesn't work, at least in our neighborhood, in our city, um, through our experience, is tracks or setting... Um, sitting on the side of uh, like, you know, a square and having the, um, 
the tabloid, the little uh, whiteboard and, you know, painting and all of that. That definitely doesn't work. Some brothers uh, from uh, other places, other churches still do it, you know, may the Lord use it. Uh, but I've, I haven't experienced, I've experienced that it doesn't work. And I'll tell you why I believe it doesn't work. Um, which I wish more people realized it. A common mis misconception of most Greeks about non-Orthodox Christians is that we are heretics and we are um, Jehovah's Witnesses. The only idea they have of non-Orthodox religion that claims to be close to Christianity but is not is Jehovah's Witnesses. And the reason is because, because there's a large community of Jehovah's Witnesses here in Greece, very aggressive in their evangelism, and right outside of every metro station, handing out tracts with pictures of, of even Jesus, which is very interesting, uh, conversation for another time, but, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses with Jesus and all these different things that look Christian. <laughs> And um, they're aggressive in their evangelism, talking about eternal life, talking about God's, you know, uh, new, uh, new heaven, new earth, whatever it is. So traditionally, uh, an Orthodox person in the Orthodox Church has claimed that everyone who's non-Orthodox is a heretic, therefore is probably a Jehovah's Witness. So you as a as an evangelical, as a born-again believer, saying, I'm going to go and hand out a track. And and I'm not talking about those ones, do you know if you're saved? I think those should be done away with for many other reasons, too. But um, And God has used them, for sure. But giving a track and saying, do you have a minute to talk about God? immediately the connection that is is made in people's minds that you're a jehovah's witness you're trying to proselytize me um no i'm good so for that reason i think it's uh, it's not successful or it's not a good uh, approach at all um also going from door to door like a lot of other people have used to do in the past that doesn't work anymore Handing out flyers in general doesn't really work. I think the most successful ministries in Greece and church plans that I know of at the moment are, are people that are in communities that are intentional in their community to build relationships, to serve the needs of the, the relationship, the community, and to bring people into fellowship with other believers before they come to church. Instead, a sophisticated balance needs to be struck. Church planters cannot copy the established church, but neither could they define themselves in opposition to it. Do you find yourself quite consciously trying to, you know, do what, be the opposite of that, to try and stand out, you know, even the healthy parts of that, old churches, you know, the established churches, because you are dealing with secularised people who, who've kind of lost touch with living faith, you have to be almost the antidote to the church that they're expecting. I see. I see. Good question. I think uh, it's a good question. Um, 
I think the answer is yes and no. We have some bridges of continuity and some discontinuity as well. So um, we try to be very respectful and very honoring. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church, the way we talk about it and um, how we, we welcome people when they say that. Uh, Often they say I'm Catholic and say, "Well, welcome, anyways," and uh, like uh, uh, um, so, like that. At the same time, there is enough difference. Uh, for example, just uh, we we don't have a building of our own yet, so we meet in a, a theater we rented on Sunday mornings, a performance theater. And so, like people come in there, like it's different, right? They see a band um, playing up front. The person is relatively youngish uh, and has a family and wears normal clothes. So there's enough, like even without trying, which is different enough. And it feels fresh um, at the same time that we also try to keep the continuity there. For example, um, I grew up in a low church tradition where we had the Lord's Supper once a month. Here we um, have it uh, every Sunday, but even because, uh, even also for theological reasons, because it's good. We want to re remind always of, of the cross of Christ, but also uh, cont uh, contextually, because it's the centerpiece of the Mass, right? And when people come and oh, there's the bread and the wine, oh, this is a church, like it's different and it's kind of, so there is elements of they recognize at the same time, there's things are different enough for hopefully to create a spark and uh, make them ask questions. Finally, in an individualistic secularized continent, mass approaches such as street marches, stadium events, large scale conferences or TV broadcasting mostly miss the mark. Instead, successful church plants position themselves as grassroots and humble participants in the life of a city. Collaborating in dialogue or social action with other faith groups helps in knocking down the presumption of Christian arrogance and exclusivity, which can still pervade. So another thing is um, social issues, social justice issues, uh, issues of environment, um, things that, that do matter, things that are important. They have to do with everybody that for some reason, the older generations tend to dismiss, <coughs> but are important for the younger generations. It is crucial for us. And I see that working majorly to find, to find, to address them with a gospel. And as we, as Christians, as we Christians are involved in social justice issues uh, and engage in those social issues, addressing them with the gospel, that is one of the best connections I've, I've seen um, made with the, the people outside of the church. So homeless people in Athens, working with homeless people and serving homeless people without necessarily preaching the gospel, but expressing why the gospel makes us care for the homeless people of the city, whether they believe or not. Um, People that are involved in are, are, are in human trafficking, you know, and rescuing people, um, just being involved there, doing service because of the gospel, but not in order to, to you know, proselytize people. People actually see that and are deeply moved and they attend the church and they come visit the church. And we have people actually visiting the church at least three to four non-Christians on a weekly basis because of our engagement in the community uh, on that level. The work is slow and steady, but ministry in this most secularized of continents is happening. In Amsterdam, 600 people, most of them strangers, had signed up to receive intriguing podcast snippets of preaching from Hill via WhatsApp last Easter. 
day by day i i praise uh the the uh the existence of of the cell phone the the, the handy <laughs> uh and then especially whatsapp uh because it's it's i do not like to call people and i'm always i'm busy all the time but i i every day i got uh dozens and dozens of little messages and 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 many in many ways they 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 are about life issues or 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 serious stuff real human human stuff and then it's even in a gathering you can you can answer in within 20 seconds and you can ask people all sorts of questions and i um since a couple of years i i i do a campaign a little campaign twice a year around christmas and around easter and then i invite people uh on social media give me your uh number and I'll send you in the seven days before Christmas a short podcast every day or in the in the week before Easter because um, you remember that it's uh, oh yeah it's Christmas and I didn't prepare oh yeah it's Easter I didn't prepare and and um, in a time that people do not easily come to a church or a gathering or that that is not part of the system uh, a, a, a little post podcast of about three minutes four minutes with a little piece of music this this works very well in my context the last easter campaign i, I had 600 uh, people who who all gave me their number and i i uh, and I, 400 of them i do not know so they hand it over to their friends and and uh, it's just a number and if you want to to respond and 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 show yourself as a person feel free um it's it's great St. Paul would have loved this. Hopera in Rome had seen 80 adult baptisms of new believers since launching about a decade ago. It's hard work and it's long term, but, it, but God, is, God is at work, God is living, God is powerful. And we've seen a, a, like a number of people coming to Christ. Like a, by now we have about 80 or so baptisms. And of those, maybe 85% uh, were Italians and many Romans. Um, and so uh, those are the people who are mostly reaching. Of course, we receive people from different nationalities, but many of them like uh, might be often very young or people in their 40s, people in their 60s, um, sometimes after like um, the loss of someone or divorce or something that kind of shook them up. Um, had many of those as well. And I just see like people um, uh, coming to faith. I think it's just the most beautiful thing. Um, and what we do, um, we kind of try to uh, train up turn a, a weakness into a strength. Um, the weakness, we don't have a building of our own or a baptistry. So we go to a lake outside of Rome and do our baptisms in the open air. So it's very striking for them to see an adult get, get baptized and uh, they share their testimony. So they explain why and their journey. And then we're at the lake, we have a picnic and it's often like a, uh, it's often a spark for someone to see a friend or, or a family member be, be baptized. And then they, they think about themselves and sometimes even they, they start their own spiritual journeys. Yeah, I I am very encouraged, and and I do want to encourage anyone involved in church planning. In the last uh, almost five years that I've been involved in this neighborhood planning the church, I a paradigm shift for me was as I was prayer walking around my neighborhood, and I was praying to God, saying, "Man, you know, I we've been planting seeds left and right, and nothing's happening," and and. I think the Holy Spirit reminded me uh, the verse where where Jesus says the harvest is 
plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? And and it was a, a moment of conviction for me because it's a verse I've heard my whole life. And one of the verses God has used for me to be part of ministry as well. But the reality is um, it was a paradigm shift for me because the reality is the harvest is there. God is already working and there is a harvest and he's calling us as laborers to to co-labor with him to to collect and pick up the harvest and and collect these people and guide them home guide them into the church so in this post-modern post-christian environment there is hope because god is already working and and i see it we have we have the first ever deaf person in greece come to faith in our church plan and start a deaf ministry, you know, just by playing board games and connected with him and eventually bringing his friend and his mother. Uh, there's all these different things happening that we, humanly speaking, could not have happened otherwise unless God was already working. So I want to I want to say that I'm encouraged because God is already working. You just have to, I believe we just have to be open-minded and open-eyed to him to lead us to the right people. At the same time, um, I think what we need to work really hard on is, um, I'm not going to say unity for the sake of unity in this vague, you know, vague idea, but we need to create gospel partnerships within our cities. Uh, regardless of denomination, regardless of how we see things and how we function, uh, we need to create common visions and common goals for our cities because the reality is we no longer live in a Christendom era. We no longer have the um, the luxury of having our own little church in our own little corner and saying, you know what, I'm going to create my own parish here, you your own parish there, and our own denominations. Now, we need to realize that we have the, I hate to say this, but we have a common enemy. And maybe it's not an enemy, but we have a common goal, a common uh, thing that we need to deal with. So so I think we need to create more gospel partnerships and, and fellowships in order to survive and to thrive into this ministry in Europe. Throughout the 20th century, European intellectuals prophesied religion would soon wither away, Flugden Hill recalled. And this failed prophecy should give hope to every believer anywhere on earth, he added. And then I would say, be, be open to secularism as an honest intellectual position. So do not preach uh, that, it is, that it is bad, that it is uh, empty. Uh, it is an it is an open position that does, I, I've learned this from from Charles Taylor, the, the the Canadian philosopher. So it is a very honest intellectual position to say, I think there is nothing else between heaven and earth than just humankind or or evolution or or whatsoever. Um, be 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 um, be open to that idea in this part of the world. Almost all the intellectuals prophesied in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s that religion would disappear, and uh, the, the, the this this didn't come true. This was a false uh, false idea, which um, which is hopeful for every uh, believer uh, wherever on earth, 
as even in, in, the, in the heartland of secularism, next new generations are that much uh, uh, um, sens sensitive to poverty of heart and spirit, um, you can almost defend the other thesis that it is that it is almost impossible to live without uh, a form of spirituality. Growth in this post-Christian context is rarely explosive, and nor is it easily replicated in some cookie-cutter formula. But for churches prepared to put in the work, to build a meaningful community, to share glimpses of the gospel in how they live and speak, and to be patient in nurturing insecure, lonely 30-somethings into faith, there is still much fruit to be had. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback, or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at tswyatt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 